the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, that UN organization that puts out those huge reports, came out with another one yesterday. Working Group Number Two provided its report. It was really about the impacts of climate change. I think we've seen them here in North America, whether it was the flooding last year, the heat dome. Uh, BC is fully aware of the forest fires, the wildfires. Um, it is the most comprehensive review yet of the impact of climate change, and it shows a world where we are not accelerating our efforts enough to prepare for or limit climate change. And we may well face progressively deteriorating living conditions for millions of people. Here's the Secretary General of the World Meteorological Organization. We have already seen that 40% of the global population have been exposed to major uh, weather-related disasters. That's uh, flooding, drought, and tropical storms uh, especially. And this number is uh, going to grow until the end of uh, this century because of the impacts of climate change. Uh, it's likely that uh, practically all of the human beings on the planet will face uh, major disasters by the end of, uh, end of this century. By the end of this century, major disasters. That's Pateri Talas. He's the Secretary General of the World Meteorological Organization announcing the findings of that IPCC report from working group number two on Monday. Well, I was really curious about what the impact was on North America. Obviously, we're here. Uh, and there is a special section in that report on North America. And Linda Morch, uh, an adjunct appointment in the Faculty of Environment at the University of Waterloo, is one of the coordinating lead authors of the North American section of that IPCC report. And she joins me now. Thanks for being here, Linda. Thank you so much. For, for listeners who may not understand the cadence of the IPCC reports, because we've seen a few, I mean, we've seen one recently, we're going to see another one coming up. What was the purpose of this one? And what were its key findings? This report was to look at what were the impacts, the adaptations that could be undertaken, and what was the vulnerability of um, people around the globe to a changing climate. I would like to just sort of let people know that, uh, that there were 195 people, countries, um, that were reviewing the summary for policymakers from this report. And for me, one of the, the key, key pieces of information that came out of that was sort of the, the overarching sort of comment or conclusions. And I just like people to realize that 195 countries went and approved this statement as the final statement in the summary for policymakers that, that the cumulative scientific evidence is unequivocal. Climate change is a threat to human well being and planetary health. And any further delay in concerted anticipatory global action on adaptation and mitigation will miss a brief and rapidly closing window of opportunity to secure a livable and sustainable future for all. So fairly strong, very strong statement that shows sort of where the assessment ultimately ended up and what the, the key idea was uh, in informing decision makers around the world, including North America. And Canada is one of those nations. I mean, Linda, you'll understand, of course, for listeners, that that finding that strong language when trying to negotiate language amongst 195 countries is not always simple. No, and that's why it is such an exceptional statement um, to come out of working group two, looking at impacts, adaptation, and vulnerability. I mean, there are there are many other pages in that summary for policymakers. 
But for me to hear unequivocal um, is, a, is a huge statement and an important statement. And it makes us um, have our ears perk up and sort of think, well, what do we have to do about this? How can we how can we move forward? Because we don't want a sense of only doom and gloom, but we want people to realize that there are things that we can do, that we have choices. And uh, this report, this IPCC report, provides insights to governments of the world, including Canada and in and U.S. and Mexico for North America, on what the impacts are, where there are vulnerable people and places but also the adaptations that can be undertaken to address this very significant issue. Some of the terms that really stood out to me in this latest report was, you know, um, modelers are seeing a much faster um, change than what they had seen in the past. I mean, it makes it clear that this is happening more quickly than previously assessed. And also, and you mentioned it already, that, that there is a small window and that small window is closing. How do you interpret that? Well, I would like to let Canadians know that yes, the global the global warming has been like 1.1 degrees Celsius, and that over the past 20 years, climate change impacts across North America have become more frequent, intense, and affect more people, communities, sectors of the economy, and e- ecosystems. And I think that. Canadians are experiencing um, an increase in temperature across the country from coast to coast to coast and in in the interior of Canada. And we know about heat waves. But if you think about the Canadian or the Arctic warming, the warming there has been much, much greater and more rapid than anywhere else in Canada and perhaps in other many other places in the world. And what's happening is that this is affecting many Indigenous peoples from securing their food on the land, the safety, way of life, and culture. So it's an important, crucial issue. Just to add to that is that what was new for me um, coming out of the report for North America was was we're aware of land-based heat waves. What was new and exciting for me Um, was the emerging evidence that there are marine heat waves, extreme warm ocean waters attributed to climate change in every marine system in North America, including um, the coast along British Columbia, such as the Northeast Pacific, the Bering Sea, and also the Northwest Atlantic. And so that affects fish, how they, where they reside or makes them move further north. It affects their, their health, their productivity. But what's also extremely important is that it has a knock-on effect on communities that rely on fishing and fisheries, and that affects their livelihoods. So these are just a couple of examples of impacts that build on temperature increase. Um, but I think What is also important to make people or Canadians aware of is that there are more and other important um, factors that are impacts that are interacting and cumulative and have cascading effects. 
I think you mentioned that. I mean, I, I, within the report, and and you were the one of the coordinating lead authors on the North American section. You certainly had evidence this past year in British Columbia specifically of the impacts. Uh, how would you define those to to a listener here about what we've seen in the last twelve months, whether it be the heat dome, the forest fires that, that destroyed the town of Lytton, um, you know, the, the the flooding this past fall. These all work into what you were talking about in this report. Exactly. Although we specifically, because of timing, don't use the British Columbia uh, example. Um, It is what we mean by interacting cumulative effects, cascading effects. So, for example, in British Columbia, started with a heat wave, high temperatures, health effects, and then forest fires significant forest fires that caused health effects as well in terms of air pollution, and then denuded or lost trees, landscapes because of the fire. And then we had an atmosphere, there was an atmospheric river, which uh, that transported an incredible amount of water into BC, um, exacerbating flooding, incredible amounts of rain that affected people and caused flooding. So all of those factors were interacting and one following the other and accumulating and causing cascading effects that communities experienced and very serious um, effects from that. I'm back with Linda Morch, an adjunct appointment at the Faculty of Environment at the University of Waterloo, and one of the coordinating lead authors of the North American section of the latest intergovernmental panel on climate change report. You've you've clearly outlined the issues that you've seen, uh, the rapid uh, development or the rapid growth or not growth, but at least the rapid progression of this problem, as well as the small window closing. Um, The report also goes into ways that, that we can tackle this. And there are some caveats. I gather technology is not a panacea, uh, but there are also things we can be doing. What are some of the recommendations uh, that come out and how would they impact us here in Canada? The foundational sort of idea is that um, as risks and impacts are are likely to increase in, in intensity and frequency in the future, they require what we call adaptation. So that means responding to the impacts of climate change. And and actually the impacts that people have already experienced, those likely would have been much more worse than if we hadn't started some adaptation. So if we have uh, disaster risk reduction, emergency preparedness and adaptation, We've already started down the road, and some of those impacts would have been a lot worse had we not started. But what's emerging from this report is that this is still not enough. Um, If we look back to how we've progressed with respect to adaptation in North America, it's increasing. And... um, But most of the activity is still directed at planning the adaptation or assessing the vulnerability. And what we really need to do is start to think about how we might be undertaking adaptation measures. This is a really strong sort of message from the IPCC report. I also point out that the action has been mostly gradual, incremental, 
And this is the most important uh, consideration for your audience is that it's been reactive. So it's reacted to a flood in many cases, or let's say a heat wave or something like that. And that we, one of the recommendations is that there's a lot more effort and thought put into scenario-based planning and adaptation so that we can start thinking about not only just incremental changes, but some of the really important um, transformative changes um, that are required as we move forward. Transformative changes, for example, as we address sea level rise along the various, the three coasts of Canada. I mean, I know that there's a lot of modeling going on. So it's not as if there aren't people around government or in Canada that know exactly what the modeling looks like for various temperature increases. When you talk about adapting or at least being more proactive, not a word that I love, but proactive, what does that look like? What needs to be done, do you think? Yes, uh, it's really, well, the, the emerging um, ideas, for example, British Columbia identified sea level rise um, targets for communities. So that was a baseline um, that people could plan for. So now we're starting to think about hard limits with respect to sea level rise and flooding and loss of land. How do you address that? How do you... Um, affect change in that manner. So you think about these cascading and compounding impacts and you start to integrate, not just take take one at a time, but you try and think about the solutions that could address more than one problem. The other issue is that bringing people together. Um, In this report, there was growing uh, recognition of Indigenous knowledge and how it can be can complement traditional Western science and expand our ideas on how we might um, adapt or change, uh, respond to these different situations. It's, um, we really do need to think about working together. And that means trying to not only um, think about Um, hard solutions um, as well, but also including nature-based solutions. One of the key ideas that emerged out of the whole Working Group 2 report is that there is such an opportunity to work with nature, to improve people's lives and livelihoods, but also to use um, nature-based solutions to address climate change. As a last question, and these reports are always very big, um, the headlines are always pretty gloomy. Is there any cause for optimism in this report? Well, I think uh, as someone who's worked on climate change for a very, very long time, um, I can say that although there are times where I'm impatient about um, and want to get to action, looking back over the years, we have come so far Uh, in terms of the science that informs um, what our impacts are, what our adaptations might be, what the vulnerabilities are, and what we might be able to do to respond to that. And so we've made people aware that climate change is an issue. And now looking forward, we've got the young people who are very, who are advocating for climate change, uh, adaptation, mitigation, Indigenous people, and their sort of cultural 
and, and environmental ethic is informing some of what we do. And also we're starting to, to bring together people and we're working together. When you think about, you know, along the coast of British Columbia, there are land use planners, there are landscape architects, there's indigenous people, there's engineers, the list ecologists, all coming together to work along different parts of the shoreline to address the issue of climate change. So yes, it's a very complex, complicated problem, but I think we have the knowledge, the challenge is working together to address the issue. And I think looking back, we've started on that road and we, we can continue uh, to address this important issue. Linda Borch, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.